protecting yourself from negativity. That will be the subject that we're going to discuss in this class. Negativity. Unfortunately, it's a very real reality in our lives. Negative energy, negative thoughts of all sorts, beginning with our own inner fears, our inner demons, as well as the fears and uh, negative thoughts we have about others or we have about life in general, about society around us. As I always point out, nobody is born a negative person unless some type of extenuating circumstances due to uh, an abnormal pregnancy, God forbid, or mother ingesting drugs or other experiences that may affect the child's metabolism, a child's uh, chemical balances and so on, children are born positive. And you see that in their laughter, in their free abandon, and so on. But we're never taught, whatever, when it ever begins, once negative energy enters our lives, it becomes a very big real, a real, real reality. So despite the fact that we're not born that way, it definitely is a part of our existence, to the point it's almost impossible to measure. If you were to ask yourself the question, how much time and energy do you invest, do you expend in fighting your fears, your demons, your uh, negative thoughts, your negative attitudes, and so on. Very hard to estimate. You'd have to sit down and really take a, a document it. And some of us were not even interested in documenting it. But one thing is for sure, it's part of our reality and does consume us. And here's the Crash 22. The more, you, the more you fight to get rid of your demons, the more you get consumed by them, and the more you become obsessed over them, the more they take hold and the more powerful they become. So the question is, and that's the presenting question that we're going to address, a, a, double, a double question. One is, can we do things to preempt, to prevent negativity from entering into our lives? And number two, once we have negative things that have already entered, once they've already entered, is there anything we can do to eliminate them or to at least mitigate them or in some way weaken their hold on our lives. That's a discussion. I don't think anybody needs an explanation, even though it's sometimes important to state, even though it's obvious, the effects of negativity in our lives, it's all pervasive. It touches every part of our lives, our decision-making process, our, our commitments, our relationships, our intimacy, our levels of trust. Negativity puts a damper, to put it mildly, and in any way really weakens and uh, compromises our resources and our ability to enter into something with a very with strong positive attitude. That's what negativity means. You're distrustful, you're second-guessing, you're unsure, uncertain, etc., etc. And it's all pervasive because it affects every, literally every detail of our lives. Now, of course, the extent of a neg- neg- negative energy is dependent on the person or dependent on the mood. So that determines, obviously, how much impact it has. Many people will say they have negative energy, they also have positive energy, and they uh, fluctuate. We fluctuate from one to the next, and we hope that they'll be as much positive as possible. But anyone going through a real negative state, for whatever reason, whether it's something internal or due to circumstances, a loss, a death, uh, of being fired... Uh, suddenly a, a, some breakup of a relationship, uh, divorce, uh, betrayal, abandonment, friends that you felt tr- you trusted and now you, you don't feel they, 
they, they, they trust, you can trust them any longer. All these things have traumatic effect on us. I mean, to the point that there is actually a PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress syndrome. Post-PTSD, I should have said. And it's a real reality. Now, that's, of course, extreme. Extreme meaning that that's one end of the spectrum. But there are things that may not be categorized or clinically diagnosed as such, and it still causes a lot of trauma and a lot of paralysis. Besides that, you lose confidence in yourself. You lose confidence in others. Again, anyone who's gone through this doesn't need any explanation. And all of us will go through moments of such scenarios in our lives. And then we also have friends and others who go through it. So it's not something that's just a side issue. It happens to address the core of so much of our lives. And as I said before, especially if you have these demons that are always lurking, they may not always be dominant and they may not always be in your consciousness, but they're always lurking in the background. And they're always there in some way, the fears and inhibitions and concerns and phobias, they, they can always pop up. We know how debilitating and demoralizing that can be. So the topic is not a minor one. It addresses and can, if, if it can indeed be preempted, prevented, and indeed can be uh, or eliminated once it's there, that would be a, uh, a tremendous achievement and accomplishment. So as always, there's always the, the symptomatic remedial approach the painkiller approach, dealing with symptoms, trying to resolve short-term, how you can get rid of an immediate fear or immediate concern or immediate demon or something that is negative that is stopping you from doing what you have to do. But we all know that the key to all this is not remedial. We really want to get to the root, the root of an issue, because when you uproot it from the root, then you're rest, you'll be rest assured you're, it's going to be more sustainable and more permanent part of our lives. So we do need to go back to the reasons that a person does have negative energy and try to defang the enemy by looking at the enemy. As I've pointed out, awareness of a problem is half the cure. What does that mean? When you shine a light on something, automatically negative, negative energy usually um, recoils. Like you look, for example, when you, open, you go into a dark room or dark basement where there may be some maggots or there may be some other um, vermin or uh, toxins, you shine a light, they also, everything goes running, even on a very physical level. The same thing is with bacteria or other infections. When you open it up to fresh air, what is the worst thing for a, an infection? Is f the festering infection is when there's no fresh air. It's closed up and doesn't, and doesn't have any uh, breathing mechanism to clear things out. So it's critical that you always have that because that is the key to all problems, physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual. And that is clarity is not a small matter. Clarity weakens the enemy, weakens, defangs the spiritual infection or the psychological, um, the psychological debilitation. Why does it do that? Number one is because clarity itself firstly creates less confusion like the expression, because there's no joy like resolving doubts. When a person lives in doubt and is unsure, that can create tremendous amount, it, uh, it uh, exerts upon us a tremendous amount of a gravitational pull and inertia that paralyzes us because the doubt kills you. When you resolve a doubt, there's a tremendous relief. Like you know, okay, I no longer have doubt, I've got clarity. You may not even get the clarity you wanted, but it's clarity. It's a no. Better a no than a maybe, 
that you can leave you hanging and hoping and just being, become obsessed and consumed. Will it be, won't it be? Whether it's in a relationship, whether it's a job or whatever, or it's your own internal decision-making process. So clarity itself is a very healthy force. Create clarity, clarity clarifies, so you don't have to now exert more energy in figuring out, should it go this way, should it go that way? And we all know what doubts do when they plague us. So even if we don't get what we wanted, but the clarity allows you to begin to heal from it and move on. As long as there's still that little glimmer of hope, you're holding on to the last straw, that can create more problems than if you at least just tell me no. So, so be it, be no, or yes. So that's the first strength of clarity. The second thing with clarity is, you see it's not such a big monster as it appears. The enemy always looks worse when it's concealed than when it's revealed. And you see in tactics of war, one of the key things is decoys and deception. You want the enemy to think that you're stronger than you are, even when you may be weaker here, and you don't want them to know where the, your strengths are. So deception, subterfuge, um, concealment, is very much part of warfare and strategy, which is why intelligence is so important, because intelligence is another word for clarity, getting intelligence about the real situation. And if you don't have that clarity, you don't have the diagnosis, you don't, you, you simply, the monster could be, the, the monster seems greater than it is. So that's the second benefit of clarity. Another benefit of clarity is it builds your confidence, because now you see it for what it is. You see it for what it is. It may be terrifying initially, but now you face the enemy. And as I said, firstly, the enemy gets weaker when you see it. Secondly, you feel confident because I'm able to face it. This is the issue. One of the key challenges when it comes to fears and negative energy is, is that we don't have any clarity. Part of its power is that it causes us to, it, it veils itself, like almost like a camouflage that hides itself behind all kinds of veils and distortions. And therefore creates all the three problems I just mentioned. It creates doubts. Number two, the monster is bigger than the enemy is greater than, than it really is. And number three, you have no confidence. So that itself is part of the problem. That's why it's so complicated. Because the problem creates another problem, which is it hides its own strength. And it hides itself from you, and we become weaker in the process. So the thing is, clarity is a tremendous asset here. Because the more we understand... The more we understand the reasons why certain things happen, why we come to such a negative place, the more powerful we'll be able to deal with it. That's why I, I always begin with how did we get here? You know, when you're lost in the forest, you're lost in the woods, make yourself comfortable. How are you? <laughs> yeah, very well. No, he's not here. Anyone? No. I'm just giving you an online class now. Okay. okay. Yeah. Is it okay if I write a check and I leave it with you for him? Sure. Yeah? So I'm just continuing because this is an online live program. Okay. Well, no I, didn't, I didn't want to ignore you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate it. So that's why, for example, when you get lost in the woods, um, and one of the things you start panicking. As you panic, you get more, further lost because you don't remember sense of direction then you may make mistakes, like in any situation, when you panic. Now, for all you know, you may not even be that far from where you need to be. But the panic gets, it's like when a person gets tangled up in something, and if they don't keep their wits about them, they get themselves more entangled. The same thing is in psychological situations. 
when let's say you're um, get yourself entangled with something in a relationship and you realize it's not a healthy relationship and you try to save it. What you end up doing is often you get yourself more entangled and more entangled to the point now you're so lost you don't even know where to go. So that's why it's so important to trace the steps. How did I get here? To sometimes stop yourself and say, one second, before I continue fighting for this or fighting against it, let me determine how did I get here? What brought me to this point? So it's going back and retracing the steps. How did I get into the forest? What direction? And try to find signposts or, 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 other, or other signs that can help you retrace the steps. The same thing is psychologically and emotionally. As I mentioned, the clarity, the lack of clarity is what traps us. And that itself is maybe worse than the enemy itself. Like I said, the subterfuge, the, the concealment, the decoys, the, all that, deception. So what you have to do is retrace the steps. And retracing the steps means going back to who we are and what makes you tick. Were you born a person that's afraid? No, as I mentioned. Most, all, all children are born happy children, except, as I said, certain circumstances can change that. But the natural human being is a naturally happy person, without fears. As a matter of fact, that's why parents have to keep watching their little children, because the little children don't, don't know better, and they can get themselves into big trouble if they don't know where to put their fingers or walk across the street, etc., etc. So it's vital to understand that we did not begin as fearful people, we did not begin with negative energy. We began with positive energy. So you'll say, what difference does it make at this point? I already have become jaded and cynical and gone through disappointments and all different types of experiences. Yet it makes a difference because what makes you tick? That's the key here. You know, for example, you find an athlete, a great tennis player, and gets into a funk. This talent is still there, but psychologically he or she feels they can't win. It's in their head. Something gets into their head. This happens all the time. It happens in every situation. What does a good coach do? A good coach helps them get their head back in place. The talent is there. So you'll say, what difference does it make the talent is there? The person does not in the right mood, the right environment. The answer is because you have it. It's just a matter of unearthing it. If someone said, for example, I don't have any talent anymore. I lost my talent. I was injured or something like that. Then you could say, okay, there's an objective reason why a person feels not confident about their situation. So then you have to deal with others. Maybe they have to then move on and find other strengths and other things that they're able to accomplish and do. But if a person actually has capacity, and I find this all the time in counseling people, that they have the potential, they have the ability to deal with their challenges. The only problem is they don't believe it. So the challenge is not the person's objective reality. The challenge is the person's attitude. That's why it's so vital to understand who we are. That's why I always emphasize that point. That's why one of the single most important things you can do for yourself is find out what you are. Many of us think we're a product of circumstances, or even worse, a victim of circumstances. We're a victim of circumstances only when we have nothing else but the circumstances to explain our lives. But if you knew that you're a soul that came into this world on a mission, whatever that mission may be, and you were given all the resources you need to deal with any particular challenge, you may not know what that what those resources are right this moment. You may not even know what the mission is, but that immediately counters the, the, the psychological impact of circumstances. You're not a product of circumstances. You actually have the power to define your circumstances. Like most people, you ask them, who are you? They show you their business card. But that's not who you are. That's what you do. And when you say to someone, that's what you do, they say, well, you know, 
I've been doing this so long, that's all I know about myself. I have become who, what I do. Think about that. You should be doing who you are. You should be, act, you should be expressing what you do should be a reflection of who you are. Not who you are becomes a reflection of what you do. Now, some instances, fine, we have good jobs, we may have a job we love, but the fact is, statistics show most people don't like the work they do. Even though they do, you'll find they initially didn't, but they learned to just live with it and become good at it because that's life. You have to pay, make ends meet. And then there's the rare few that do have a labor of love and they actually, their life, their livelihood is something that is their passion and their soul's calling and so on. But the mere fact that you know that you've been sent on a call and you have a calling and you were charged with a mission and you were given the strength and your soul has resources, your soul has resources. And I don't mean this necessarily in a religious context. I mean it's simply the fact that you're not just a body, uh, a, a, a machine, but you have a soul, you have a personality, you have emotions, you have a mind, you have an unconscious or superconscious. You have interests, you have values, you have beliefs. Everyone has something they stand for or they'd like to stand for. We like to make a mark in this world. When you know that and that's, what the, and that's the driving force in your life, then what you do becomes a way of actualizing who you are and what your calling is, what your mission is. Unfortunately, we grew up in a society where our schooling, even the best schools, they never teach you what your mission is. They teach you how to make a living, how to take, how to use your intelligence, how to be creative, how to build a business, how to find ways to, make, to, build, to build wealth and become what they call success. But if someone asks the question, why am I here? There's no school that guarantees an answer to that. Even the classes on philosophy usually become so abstract, it doesn't really answer that question. So then we're thrust in, you know, in our teenage years, our younger years, when we should be thinking about these bigger questions. Then we thrust into the world where we have to start paying bills. We have to start making a living. And you get onto the merry-go-round, now you're already driving at 90 miles an hour. You can't just suddenly stop and say, why am I doing all of this? What's the purpose of my life? So what do you think is going to happen inevitably? The 90 miles an hour is going to ultimately take its toll. And you may even be successful, but there's going to be a point where you're going to hit the blues. They call middle-age blues. Some people, I met a teenager who told me he's, he's going through middle-age blues. So middle-age is becoming earlier and earlier. Bottom line, an existential crisis. We start wondering, why am I doing this? What's the value of it? How does my rest of my life fit in? Do I have a family? Do I not have a family? Is it integrated? And all the questions that I don't have to... I just fill in the blanks. Everybody goes through this. And it's all driven by one thing, that you never really established your mission. Think of a company, a business, that is, has money and investors. Let's say someone's giving you, here's, here's the money, whatever you need. And they never established a mission statement. Tell me what's going to be with this business after a while. Even if they have all the money in the world, they're going to start squandering it. Efficiency, they'll be infighting, there'll be lack of focus. There's no way it can last. Because there's accountability. Someone has to pay the bills. And at the end of the day, even if you have deep pockets, a lot of losses will be, will be incurred without the focus that a mission creates. And then when you ask somebody, okay, apply that to your personal life. What's your personal mission in life? Even very intelligent people look at you sometimes and they say, that's a good question. Never thought about that. Or they'll give an answer to one of these like platitudes will say, my mission is to be happy to make a lot of money and then buy whatever I can want to buy, to build a healthy family, to um, be successful. None of those qualify for missions, even in Business 101. Google's mission, for instance, is to take all the information of the world, organize it, and make it readily accessible. Not exact words, but that's the content. 
They don't say to make money. Every business is supposed to make money. Every business is supposed to have happy employees. Every business should be building a healthy family of, of workers and so on. That's not a mission. That goes without saying. The mission is what's unique about this business and has to be short and to the point, and it drives even if you have 300,000 employees. That doesn't mean it's one project. It could be millions of projects, but it's driven by one general overarching mission. In our personal lives, I challenge anyone to say, I know exactly what my mission is. Not, and it's not a critique. The reason is no one ever, ever told us this. Not our parents, not our educators, not our schools. So basically, we have sophisticated tool chests. That's great. And some of us have mastered it. But someone asks you, what are you using these tools for? I'm building something. What are you building? I'm building a successful career, successful business. And I'm not su- suggesting that a successful business could also be doing good for society and good for others, even if a person gets enriched by it. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But if you said your personal mission, my unique mission, I don't even know if this is it. Maybe, maybe not. So the point is, to look for that is a key to everything else because when you know that, that's where positive energy comes from. That's where we do, we, we are, that, where, why, why are we vulnerable to the, call the elements? to society, to our coworkers, to our employees or our employers, to our spouses, to our families, to all the people who have expectations, is because if you don't have a core force that's driving you, you'll be driven by what is demanded of you. And you become a slave to that which others expect of you. Because it's not being driven from within, it's being driven from without. So it's inevitable that when negative energy enters, you will not know what to do with it. Because it'll become too powerful. You can just leave it here. I'll make sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll give it to me. I'll make sure it gets to the right place. Okay. Thank you. Thank nice you. To meet you. Nice to meet you. Real nice listening to you. Thank you very much. Meaningfullife.com. Meaningfullife.com. Yeah. Okay. What is your name? I'll send you an email, so we'll, we'll stay in touch. Okay, excellent. Where do you live? Long Island. Okay, great to see you. Great to meet you. So, so it's inevitable. So when things are going well and the winds are calm, you can stand up to those challenges. But when the storms come and there's a negative experience and suddenly overwhelming, you don't have what to lean back on because your core being has never been defined. So the first step in anything in bringing positive energy into your life, both the preemptive and we'll also talk about what to do once there's a problem. But either way, you got to get to know yourself. Know thyself. Learn about your soul. Your soul. Learn about its resources. Learn about its faculties, its attributes, its powers. And then exercise them. Because when you do that, the part of you that is completely controlled by you becomes stronger. And the stronger it becomes the less the forces from the outside. And even the inner demons and inner negative energies have a hold on you. So it's not about fighting darkness. It's about bringing light into the picture. It always comes down to that. Always finding that aspect. And it begins with yourself. When you have that inner sense of confidence and inner knowledge, this is me, this is my purpose, then even when a negative thing comes your way, number one, you have that clarity, as I mentioned before, with all the benefits, the clarity, number one, it, it, uh, it, um, it creates a certain, it, it avoids doubts and confusion. 
Number two, it makes you, it makes you um, see that the enemy is not so big and not so strong. And above all, it gives you confidence in that clarity, what, you're, what you stand for. So someone will say to you, I know what I don't stand for. I know what I'm against. And someone will say, what do you stand for? That's the key to this whole process. So, so if you are a young person or you're a parent of children, it's critical to feed and nourish and cultivate in your children not just how to get rid of weeds in the garden, but how to access their flowers. If we already have entered into a negative place for whatever reason, the answer to that is not just to push away the negative. Whatever age you are, wherever you are in your life, it's time to get to know a deeper part of yourself. And a direct proportion of your awareness of your inner strengths and of your inner soul, in direct proportion to that will be your strength and your clarity that will allow, yourself, allow the negative not to take such hold. I was reading an article a few weeks ago where, very fascinating, and it's not, an advoca- it's not advocating anything, I'm just making the point. And the article was about how psychedelics are being used to be in medicinal ways, medicinal ways, or medicine, whatever you say, medicine, remedial ways to deal with all kinds of psychological issues. Now, there are people who are very big glee and and, and, uh, feel vindicated because those that experimented with psychedelics back in the 60s or whenever it was, and then, then of course, people got burned by it and it became taboo and and illegal, etc., feel vindicated because some of the experiences that people had under the psychedelic experience was such that gave them a certain deeper understanding of reality. So what I was reading was very fascinating, saying that the, that the way it's being used now, obviously it's now being monitored and with moderation under controlled set, circumstances and settings, is what it does is it opens up in the mind chambers and perspective that you see yourself as part of a bigger picture, a bigger unity, literally uses these words and weakens automatically your ego. Because the ego of the person, the self, the sense of self, and of course the extension of self is self-absorption, self-interest, self-worship, all the vices that the self brings is the heart, lies at the heart of fear, of insecurity, of the demons of negative energy. Because you're consumed with your attitude to it, and this attitude is taking control. When you see yourself in a bigger context, you see that you're one part of a larger organism, and you're one part of a cosmic reality, what happens is your ego gets weaker because it's not just about you. You're part of something bigger, which of course includes you feeling the confidence that you're also being, in a way, nurtured by that larger organism that you're part of. And general takes over the focus of the self-absorbed fears, which are so the self-absorption, which causes us to become obsessed with ourselves and therefore also with our fears. Now, interesting, self-absorption can be self-absorbed in your joy as well, selfish, narcissistic happiness at the expense of others or completely ignoring others. But it also includes the self-absorption of fear. And you say, no, no one can understand me. I'm in a place where I'm locked. And, and, and therefore fearful, etc. As soon as you open up to the vistas and panorama of a larger reality, it weakens the hold of that ego and therefore weakens the fears that people have. That's what they, the argument. Now, when I read that, obviously, it resonated absolutely. There it's being induced with psychedelics, but this is the whole basis in many ways of what mysticism teaches and Hasidic thought teaches. 
which is to get to weaken and nullify the ego. Not to eliminate it, to harness it, but not to allow it to control your life because ego is at the heart of all issues. I've mentioned this a number of times, why we break a cup at the end of a marriage ceremony under the chuppah, under the canopy. So the, the technical reason is to remind ourselves that Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed so we remember the Churban Beis Amigdash that even in our happiest times we'll always remember the you, Jerusalem. So of course the question only carries over to why. Why of all times, the high point of a person's life is the moment of their marriage. Even if there are challenges in marriage, it usually doesn't begin under the cer- at the ceremony. Why do we have to remember destruction? Why do we have to remember the negative? And one answer, very powerful answer, and it lies, and, and it gives us a, a formula for dealing with all challenges, is this. When a person is completely absorbed with their joy, and they don't have any room for someone else who may not be as joyous, or may be needy, and their empathy is blinded because they're so consumed with themselves, then the day comes, God forbid, when they have a negative experience, they're also completely consumed. When a person remembers, even at their high point in life, even when things are going well, the greatest simcha, the greatest joy, they remember there's a world, the world is still broken. There are people who are not, do not have relationships, who are lonely, emotionally, psychologically. The, the, on a cosmic level, the world is not where it should be. There's so much broken about the world in this ailing world. You remember that, so your self-absorption is not complete, because you remember others, there's empathy involved, though you're celebrating at the same time. So then... Because you perceive the bigger picture, then when God forbid you come your, your time in life, when your wheel turns and you hit a low point, it's also not complete. Because there's room, like I said, fresh air. There's a refreshing way to look at it and say, you know what, I'm part of a bigger picture. Self-absorption, you can grow by it, but you also die by it. Whereas here, it's not the self. The self is part of a bigger picture. That awareness is one of the key things in really navigating any challenge in life. Even the harshest challenges, because you know there's a deeper meaning to things. You may not always know what it is, but you sense there's a deeper purpose. There's a certain harmony and awe when you realize that, and that awe in some way weakens the hold of negative energy. It dissipates it. Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery. First they wanted to kill him, out of jealousy, then into slavery. 22 years, a lifetime. And finally when they come together, and they finally are so embarrassed when they realize it's their brother Joseph when he reveals himself to them, so they want to bury themselves in shame after what they did. And Joseph tells them, it is not you that did this, it's God. God sent me here to Egypt to, be, to preserve, to sustain, because he was the viceroy that stockpiled the grain that allowed the world to deal with the famine and therefore saving and sustaining his own family ultimately. So I was sent here to be a source of life. Imagine the perspective. He did not focus on his challenges. 22 years he suffered. He was in prison, he was almost dead. And all the other challenges. He saw the bigger picture and realized there's a bigger story here. It is those people that are able to deal with even the harshest circumstances. We shouldn't need harsh circumstances, but negativity takes, uh, does not have the same hold when you have that type of clarity, back to clarity, when you have that picture in mind. 
Now, the best way, of course, is to teach people this attitude from the outset. Not wait till there's a problem. That from young age on, you teach people about your life. Yes, you have to be, take care of your own needs. You have, you have a self to take care of, but you're also part of a larger organism. And the need for empathy, the need for sharing, the need to realize it's not all about me, me, me. What do you think happens when a person has that attitude? They grow a little older. So when things may not always work out, they realize it's not me, me, me. There's a bigger picture. I can forego certain things. I can forgive. I can transcend. Someone grows up, me, me, me. Something doesn't go their way. and They're a spoiled brat. What do you think happens? They're devastated. Or they become vicious. Because how could I? A sense of entitlement. So the best is to teach children from young age to be charitable, to be kind, to be generous, to be thankful, to gratitude. Today's a big whole rage about gratitude, how it literally helps people in their lives. Gratitude. What's gratitude? Gratitude, again, not about me. It's not just you deserve everything. Not just a taker. You're also a giver. And you recognize that people did something for you. There's a certain peace, a certain inner inner uh, balance that we attain when we have gener- when we are gra- when we have when we show gratitude to others and once we get into a situation like this let's say a person did not grow up in a home where they hold all that that doesn't mean it's ever it's never too late you always have the opportunity you always have the opportunity to begin and behave this way and live this way how maybe a little harder because your, your habits and patterns and routines are now not aligned but you always are able to correct it by introducing, again, your soul's needs. Let's use the analogy of a garden. Basi Ligani, come to my garden, God says. Basi Ligani. I have come to my garden. And basically it's an invitation. God himself is coming to his garden, which means the world is his garden. As the Garden of Eden in the beginning of existence, beginning of creation, what is the garden? The garden analogy of garden, the garden analogy is a beautiful analogy to look at life. For a garden to grow beautiful flowers and other produce and other vegetation, it needs two things. It needs, obviously, to be seeded and to be cultivated and to be nurtured and nourished and watered and so on. But it also needs to be weeded. You need to uproot weeds and other um, infections and other rodents or predators that may want to destroy this garden. Well, we have the expression in Jewish thought, there's the expression, surmara asetev. Move away, avoid, or surmara, go away from the negative and do good. It's two paths, and we need both because we live in a world where there are dangers. It is a hostile world. But imagine all your focus in the garden all day is uprooting weeds. That's all you're doing. You're weeding the garden. And you're so busy with it that the flowers will never grow properly because you're busy constantly fighting the enemies. It's like constantly being on defense. You can't fight defense all your life. You need partially some defense, but the most important thing is why is there defense? Because you want to build something here. You want to build and create a beautiful garden. And for that you need seeds, and for that you need watering, you need time and investment. The same thing is with each one of us. Within us, we are each personal, private, we are each microcosmic gardens. You are a garden that has tremendous potential. Beautiful flowers of all sorts, of all colors, to emerge. You can also use the analogy of song. You have the songs that you can sing. But if you're busy all the time fighting the enemy, 
fighting the critics, fighting negative people, negative energy, what do you think will happen? There'll be no time to cultivate the flowers and to sing the songs because you're constantly fighting the, 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 the challenges. That's why it's critical to get to know what you're made of because it becomes very easy to become identify yourself. You know, my life, my life is basically a life where I'm constantly fighting, have playing defense. I have all kinds of ar- my armor, my, uh, my uh, shields, everything to make sure I, I'm not going to be hurt. And someone will say to you, okay, and what do you do when you're protected? You say, well, listen, there's always a new enemy that can come my way. It's not a life to live. Meanwhile, you're, un- you're, 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 un- you're um, uh, ignoring and um, basically betraying your own potentials. That is why it's vital to find out who you are. And there are places to read and study. We have online plenty of material that helps you understand your soul. We just were finished counting the 49 days, the seven times seven emotions. This, uh, in, 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 get to know yourself. Introduce yourself to yourself by getting to know your emotions. You have love. What kind of, what kind of love do you have? Does your love have proper balance? Does it have proper harmony? Does it have proper determination? Does it have proper humility, yielding? proper bonding, proper dignity. Same thing with your discipline. Does your discipline have love? When you start going through your own emotions and the breakdown, the seven times seven, you start getting to know yourself. And that's vital because the better you know yourself, the better you can then deal with, number one, work on actualizing that which you know, and number two, then know where to focus where there's resistance, where there's a weed that you need to weed. Fine, but it's focused it's not weeding just a weed. It's not just uprooting the weeds just to uproot weeds. It's not playing defense just to play defense. It's playing defense in order to support your offense. And then your life takes on a different type of course. Instead of it being reactive, you become proactive. Because proactive is a result of knowing what you are, what you want to achieve today or tomorrow or, or the next month or the next year or the next decade of your life. Protect yourself not very good at building a relationship because they're so much on defense and there's such fear they never allow themselves to really engage and really celebrate something and it can be extremely sad when you see that now it's completely understandable because if you've been under the atta- under attack and your life has been one a difficult life you are you you build up such uh, attitudes where you're busy constantly protecting so protecting from negativity is not through building defenses. Protecting from negativity is bringing in into your life the garden, the flowers, the music, the songs that are your birthright, that are your soul wanting to actualize itself. And when you do that, what happens is you're able to then, that becomes the greatest force that protects everything. Now one of the reasons we're talking about this in this class, because this week, and we have an article about this online, the protection in a, from a great Kabbalist who wrote a, a powerful book called Emek HaMelech. Emek HaMelech means the, the valley of the king. The mystical teachings based on the teachings of the Arizal, Isaac Luria. But the bottom line is he writes about this week's, uh, well, it comes actually next week, uh, this, uh, um, well, it will actually be next week's chapter. Where he talks about the brackets and a certain chapter, Baal um, 
This week we're going to read Nosis after Shavuos. The following, not this week, the next week, is the brackets that separate when we say Vayibah and Sayyara when the, ar- the ark traveled through the wilderness. So that, 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 uh, that we say every time when they open up an ark in the synagogue during the reading of the, before the reading of the Torah, we say Vayib and Sayyara. Now if you look in the Chumash, you'll see it's separated by brackets. To the point the Talmud says that within these brackets, the brackets are like upside down nun in Hebrew. That within these brackets is, is considered like a, a Torah of its own. Essentially creating five books into seven books. Because you have the first three books. That's uh, uh, Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. Bereshish, Shemois, and Vayikra. You have the part of numbers, or Bamidbar, till the bracket. That's four. You have the bracket itself, that's five. You have after the bracket till the end of numbers, or Bamidbar. And then you have the Varim. So seven, sometimes I could compare it to the seven branches of the menorah. But he writes in this book that someone who reads this, it's an automatic protection in life. And what are you reading? You're reading an enclosed section, which is really the essence of the ark when it was carried into, in the wilderness, which was the time of Ibn Sayyaran, which meant when the ark would be carried, it would be carried as they were traveling, that this creates a type of oasis, a type of protection from all the challenges in life. Similar to the idea that we've, the Baal Shem Tov says, and the word teva, teva in Hebrew is, means the ark, Noah's ark, that the word teva also means word. Teva is a word. Now when you surround yourself with holy words of Torah and prayer, that's a protective element. But this is not a protection that you're playing defense. It's a protection that's offense. It means when you reinforce, and you surround yourself with holiness, with sanctity, with uh, ideas, with prayers and feelings that are all about feeding your soul, automatically you're going to be a person that is going to be more immunized from the challenges and fears and negativity of life. So it really comes down to a simple formula. The stronger you build your soul, the less negativity affects you, period. This doesn't mean there won't be challenges, but it won't affect you quite the same way. That's what we're looking for here. We're not looking for perfection. We're not looking for eliminating a negative thing. We're looking for ways to deal with it when it comes. So you have a strong foundation, a strong home, a strong deep roots, a strong ship. When a storm strikes, there'll still be storms, but you'll be able to deal with the storm because you have everything going for you. So that's the key thing is number one is reinforcing your soul. Number two is reinforcing your relationships. I say this also as a form of a blessing for those that need to find their soulmate for those that want to begin building their family, and it's never too late. These are a tremendous asset in life, is to have that soulmate in your life, because then you have another powerful um, foundation, an underpinning, that allows you to deal with the challenges in life. But this doesn't mean that someone who's not in that place cannot deal with it. It's just another tool, another method, if you wish. And I can go down a list of many, many tools and methods that we can use but that's, they all go under this banner, which is finding spiritual nourishment, feeding your soul, feeding your inner self, but not in a self-absorbed way, in yourself as it serves others. Because that is the key to creating that inner strength and inner confidence that can counter any negative energy. So, on a concluding note, I'll say this. Um, everything begins with one action. 
just as I mentioned before, just like we don't get lost in the woods overnight. It's one step and then you get further and further and then you get more entangled as you get more, more panicky or more afraid. Same thing the other way around. Once you stop and say, you know what, I'm not going to get further entangled. I'm going to pause. Regain my composure. You don't get out of the woods overnight, but you take the first step. And the first step is always the most important step. First step starts right now. Any of this makes sense? Tonight, before you go to sleep, think about this. Maybe write down a little note for yourself. Acknowledge the soul that you have inside you. That you're going to now put this, you're going to put, go to rest and to sleep and be able to be refreshed in the morning. When you wake up in the morning, say the moda'ani that I often point out, the prayer that just acknowledges the soul that you have again. And that this soul is pure. That's how you begin. Small steps. You don't have to do anything dramatic. Just start with recognizing and paying attention to yourself, to the inner self. And the more you do that, the more you'll see the fruits of your labor. So when people suggest and say, I'll do something radical or, or cold turkey, it doesn't usually, it's usually not sustainable since we have other things in our lives and it's hard to maintain that. But small steps can be maintained. And the small steps is to start feeding your soul. What I just suggested is a prayer in the morning, a prayer in the evening. At least once a week, if not once a day, study something. Read a book or read a section of a book. Soulful, something soulful, something that resonates with you. It doesn't hurt to have also, once in a while, maybe again once a week, some music you listen to that soothes and speaks to your soul. And there's good spiritual music out there as well. Then there are things you can do with others. Maybe a class that you go to with another or you study one-on-one or volunteering and helping somebody else. All these are essentially methods that nurture your garden. They bring out those flowers. The more you do that, the less the negative has a hold on you. The less you do that, then what do you think is going to, you're going to gravitate to? You'll gravitate back to your status quo, which is whatever's taking, whatever controls your life now will continue controlling it. So these changes have to be small, but, st- but, but consistent. That's the key, consistency. Kvias in Hebrew. A consistent, a consistent one minute a day is much more than an hour at the end of the week. Not about cramming. It's about consistent diet of the spiritual oxygen and spiritual food and drink necessary to give your soul a fighting chance, to give it, to strengthen it. And the more awareness, just like a child, a child needs more than anything else, awareness, love. The more care you give your soul, the more care it will give you. Try it out. What's there to lose? And you'll see the results. Um, I, my life, and my Meaningful Life Center, we're dedicated to this. This is our dedication my whole life to this because this I believe is the single most important thing is to help people find meaning in life find purpose there's many other ways to get there's any other places to go for entertainment to go for career building to go for other um, stuff in survival or uh, success in this material world but I like to believe that I'm part of my, myself and our team and Meaningful Life Center is part of helping nourish the soul and that's all the material we create is driven by that mission to nourish the soul to give it strength, to empower it, to make it aware of its own strengths. And no one has to give it to you. But someone has to spark it in you, ignite it within you. So it's already waiting. It's waiting, dormant, sometimes not so dormant, and beckoning. The beckoning can sometimes come through anxiety. 
through fear, actually. These are also voices of the soul telling you, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I'm uh, exhausted, I am asphyxiated, please nourish me. The body tells you it's hungry when you feel hunger pangs. The body tells you when it's tired through fatigue and other ways. But the soul tells you it's hungry when it tells you something you don't feel good about yourself, missing something. You feel fearful, you feel um, listless, you feel lack of direction, you feel empty, you feel lost. These are just, this is your soul talk speaking to you because you see dead people, God forbid, don't have such feelings. No dead person has anxiety. No dead person feels lost. So it's a sign of life. It's your nerves are telling you, just like your nerve tells you something's wrong and it tells you pain. There's also existential pain and psychic pain, and emotional, psychological pain, telling you to wake up. And how do you wake up? By feeding your soul, becoming aware of it. It's calling to you. It's like a baby that's crying. You're not feeding it. It'll continue to cry. That's the way we have to look at all these voices in our lives, even the negative voices. And as you feed them, what happens is, as I said, you build up this immunity and the strength. And a negative thing becomes, you can deflect it, easier to wash off you, easier to get over, easier to transcend. That's the method or the methodology. So please see myself and our Meaningful Life Center. You go online at MeaningfulLife.com. you find full of many resources in social media, Facebook, YouTube. Please share, like it, do whatever it takes to spread the word. And uh, we'll continue this journey together. It's an honor to intersect with you. It's an honor to connect and an honor to be able to all of us to actualize and help actualize our souls in building this personal garden and then the collective garden of the entire world. Thank you. We'll be here next week, Wednesday, 8.30. And everyone should have a blessed week. Thank you very much.